take your Bible, go to John 17, please. I trust you'll leave your Bible open to that chapter as we will be going through this tonight. Just three verses I want us to look at, beginning in verse 1. Uh, before I went to India, uh, I, we, on that Sunday night, we talked about this passage here in verse 1 and how it was literally the, the beginning of what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's making his way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is heading to the cross. And he has this prayer time with the Father, and in the infinite wisdom and goodness of God, he lets us, he lets us eavesdrop on the conversation on that prayer that Jesus prayed as he's talking to the Father. And so tonight, we, we, we talked about verse 1 a few weeks ago. I want you to notice it. And these words spake Jesus, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Verse 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now tonight you're going to have to think. You're going to have to focus and biblically analyze and pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. How many of y'all believe every word of God is important? Say amen right there. How many of y'all believe it's important to study what Jesus has to say? So we're, we're going to do that. So verses 2 and 3 mean something. What does verse 2 mean? Well, he continues on with this thought of eternal life. He says, Father, you have given me, the Son, power over all flesh. You've given me the ability to grant and give eternal life to as many, notice what he said, to as many as thou hast given him. To as many as you've given to me, Lord, you've given me. To those you've given to me, you've given me the ability to give to them eternal life. What does Jesus mean by that statement? And he continues the thought about eternal life on in verse 3. And he says, and this is life eternal. That they, speaking of these who Jesus gives eternal life to, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Two times, once in verse 2, once in verse 3, you see the phrase eternal life, those terms, eternal life, life eternal. Jesus brings that up, this up in his prayer, and I think it's important enough uh, uh, not just to just hit it and just move on to something else, but tonight I want us to think in the context of what Jesus is saying here, what is the real nature of eternal life? Obviously, it was important enough for the Lord to bring up in his prayer. I believe he wants us to understand what's, what's the nature of eternal life. We talk about, as Christians, we talk about in our, our understanding of biblical Christianity and our spirituality. Man, we have this concept of eternal life. What is eternal life? What's the real nature of eternal life as it relates to the Bible as a whole, but more specifically taught in this passage right here, verses 1 and 2. 
What is eternal life? Well, first of all, I want to say to you tonight, based on verse 2, that eternal life is only granted by the saving power of Jesus. Eternal life is only granted by the saving power of Jesus. That's an obvious thing. That's, that's, that statement is not incompatible with what, we, what you and I have been taught as Bible-believing Christians, but that's consistent with the, that, that's, that's the biblical truth. That eternal life is granted only by the saving power of Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 2. Now again, he's talking to the Father. And he said, Father, as you, as thou hast given him, that's, that's the Son, Jesus is referring to himself in third person. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he, Jesus, the Son, should give eternal life to as many people as thou hast given to him. So we understand that this granting of eternal life, Jesus says plainly here, is through the authority given to him by the Father. The Father gave the authority to Christ to grant eternal life. There is a, yes, I'm firm believer as you are in the Trinity. There's no, no conflict in the Trinity. But as we understand it, the Father apparently here is granting authority to the Son to give eternal life to individuals. It's through that authority that individuals are saved. The authority given to Jesus the Son, God the Son by God the Father. We understand that. But then we also understand that this was accomplished through Jesus' atonement on the cross. That when he gave his life and when he died and he's about to die the following day. and When he said it is finished and he, he accomplished there on the cross in those hours hanging there. He accomplished everything that was required to provide salvation for the sins of mankind. He atoned in his death and shed blood. He atoned for the sins of the world. And he grew satisfied. He satisfied the debt. He righteously paid the debt for every single person. And because of his accomplished death and his shed blood, where he, he, he rose again for our justification, God the Father, in eternity past, it was already decreed in the eternal decrees of God in eternity past, that Jesus the Son would pay the sin debt for every person. It was God's eternal plan, eternal plan, that Jesus the Son, God the Son, would be the sacrifice. Romans says the propitiation for our sins, the sins of the world. Now, as you dive further into that verse, Maybe two or three questions may arise in your mind as we try to ascertain exactly what he's saying here. Apparently, Jesus has the power to grant eternal life to whoever he chooses. Notice what he says here. As many as the Father has given to the Son. As many as the Father has given to the Son. 
In other words, God the Father gave these individuals to Christ. Based on the fact in the foreknowledge of God. And I know some of you are like foreknowledge. You're getting a little heavy here on Sunday night. Based on God's foreknowledge. He gave all these individuals who would be saved. And God in his infinite wisdom obviously knows who's going to be saved and who's not. Don't let that frighten you or bother you. You do believe in the omniscience of God. Amen. That means that God in eternity past knows every single thing about everybody. He knows who's going to be saved. He knows when they're going to get saved. And those who God the Father knew were going to choose him, it says that he gave them to Christ and gave Christ the authority to grant eternal life to these individuals. One writer said, and I like the way he said it, the fact that Jesus alone was given authority to grant eternal life through his death on the cross. It underscores the exclusive, exclusive, exclusivity excuse me, of the gospel message. I'm on steroids. Don't mess with me, all right? That's why I'm all fat and bloated. <sighs> These steroids are messing me up, people. You need to pray for your pastor in multiple levels here. God the Father gave the authority to Jesus alone. Alone. That means Jesus alone. Listen, Jesus alone is the means and the way of eternal salvation. It's through Him only that eternal life can be received. I love what Adam Clark said. Second cousin to Don. No. Adam, I'm always quoting Adam Clark. He was an old theologian 200 years ago. He said, as all were delivered into his power, and he poured out his blood to redeem all, then the design of God is that all should have eternal life. Because all are given for this purpose to Christ and to this end that it might be accomplished, that he, Jesus, became their sacrifice and their atonement. And I believe that. William Burkett said, All believers are given by God the Father unto Christ. They are given to Him, to Christ, as His charge. To redeem, to sanctify, and to save. And they're given to Him as His reward. That's consistent with what's said in the New Testament and said in Scripture. So there are some obvious things in this text here in verse 2 as well as other passages that I want you to keep in mind tonight before we move forward to verse 3. Y'all still with me tonight? Say amen right there. All right, I want you to understand this. Obviously in the text here, Christ has all authority over all of mankind. He has the authority to determine the ultimate destiny of men. Because he says here that thou hast given to him, God, Father, you've given to me, you've given the Son, the power over all flesh. All of mankind, all of creation, Jesus Christ is Lord over everything. We believe that, we say that. It's true. He has authority over mankind. 
Second statement I want you to hang on to. Christ has all authority to grant eternal life. Because he says here that, that he should give eternal life. It's in the hands and the authority of Jesus to grant eternal life to individuals. Number three, those to whom he grants eternal life were given to him by the Father. He says, to as many as thou hast given to him. Well then, how does Jesus choose? How is it determined? How is it determined who is granted eternal life? Well, gang, I'm glad we have all of Scripture to understand that. Based on John uh, 1.12, where it says, To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So when you and I receive Christ by faith and repentance of sin, when we receive him, he grants us the authority and the power to be called his children. Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel. There's faith in Christ. There's turning from sin, turning, changing of our mind, opening up ourselves to the Lord Jesus, embracing him. Listen carefully. When you say yes to him, he's already said yes to you. So the granting of eternal life occurs when those individuals receive Christ by faith and repentance. And then the fifth statement under this I want you to understand. You have to keep in mind. Let's take the full Bible. God's offer of salvation. And I firmly believe this. Is for all of mankind. And for every person. What do you base that on Christian? I base that on John 3.16. You can try to parse that any way you want to. For God so loved the world. Not just the elect. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, and here's the big word, whosoever believes in him. I'm convinced the Bible teaches a whosoever gospel. A whosoever salvation. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 13 and I'm not, you say, well, you're being simplistic. No, I'm just trying to keep it down on the bottom shelf where everybody can get a hold of it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, shall be saved. God's offer is for whosoever will. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is not willing, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. But is long-suffering to usward. And is not willing that any should perish, but that all should what? Come to repentance. Now, friends, I know you have to take Scripture with Scripture, and the best explainer of Scripture is other Scripture. But what does all mean in that verse? It means all. That it is the will and desire of God that all people come to repentance in Christ. Keep in mind that God, all through Scripture, speaks of His universal and general offers of grace, invitations, and promises. Y'all know me. It's Sunday night. I feel free. I feel like I ought to be able to say this anytime the Lord leads me to. So I'm going to say it right now. 
We are, and without apology, we are a free will Baptist church. I hope, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't get up and I don't use that as a hobby horse, you know. I, I don't, I'm just, we're a free will. You say, well, what does that mean? That means we believe in free grace offered through Christ, free salvation, and that God, it's, it's, uh, I reject the teaching of a limited atonement. A limited atonement says that Christ died only for the elect of God. Friend, I reject that. I believe Christ died for the world. I believe his death on the cross and his shed blood was what we call efficacious for every single person who's ever been born or ever will be born. Why? Because of the tone of Scripture. I reject a limited atonement. I reject a teaching that's called, and some are shying away from this teaching now, but it's called irresistible grace. I reject that. That means that, that God imposes, imposes his salvation. I don't believe God imposes. Yes, God woos, God convicts, God draws. God brings people to himself, but he doesn't impose his salvation on some individuals by force. I reject that. I believe God has given every single person a limited free will. I do not believe in the complete autonomy of man, and you don't either, by the way. But God does give to every single individual an individual choice to whether receive Christ or reject Jesus Christ. We are elect. We are. That term doesn't scare me. That term is a biblical term. But according to 1 Peter 1-2, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. God knew in eternity past, even John Calvin himself in his own commentary states that that term elect, it may, or the foreknowledge, it means God's precognition. The fact that God knew ahead of time who was going to choose him. We're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. I am the part of the elect. I have been chosen by grace and chosen by God. Thank the Lord. But that offer of grace is for every single person. Point number one is that eternal life is only granted by the saving power of Jesus. Y'all still with me tonight? Look at, look at truth number two. Now that brings us to verse three. And here's where we're going to close out this evening as we draw this to a close. The second truth is eternal life is only experienced by knowing God intimately. Verse 3. And this is life eternal. This is eternal life that they might know thee. Can you see Jesus standing there in the moonlight that night saying that to the Father? Father, this is eternal life that these individuals, that they might know thee. 
the only true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ. It's the only time, only time in Scripture, Jesus referred to himself by the compound title, Jesus Christ. And he's talking to the Father. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the word eternal there, it means perpetual. It does mean without end. But he states here by what he said. He said, Father, eternal life is simply knowing you and knowing your son. You see, eternal life, ladies and gentlemen, is an intimate relationship with God through Christ. He speaks here of a personal knowledge. The word uh, 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 know, he says in verse 3, that you, they may know, they may know, K-N-O-W. That's the word gnosko, and it literally means a deep, intimate, seriously, a deep knowledge. Like a love relationship. I know all of you. All of you know me. But there are others in this room that we know more than we know others. Family. Friends. Spouse. Children. See, I know that woman right there. And she knows me like nobody else in this room does. My boys know me and I know them like nobody else in this room knows me. That's real knowledge. And that dear one you're sitting beside, they know you like nobody else knows you. Even though somebody in another pew sitting across the way, they might know you, but they don't know you like the person beside you knows you. Right? What you, Brother Willie just looked at Brother Bob right there. Said, right. <laughs> hey. You know what Jesus is saying? He's talking about that, that deep knowledge. Hey, watch this. Not deep this way. He's not talking about a head knowledge. He's not talking about, oh, so-and-so, they know all the concepts. It's not about knowing concepts. Oh, dear friend, please hear me carefully. If you think Christianity is reduced to concepts, we are all jacked up. It's not about concepts. Thank God for the concepts. Thank God for truth. Thank God for the theology. Thank God for thoughts and terms and for expressions and for understanding and anointing by the Holy Spirit where he helps us to understand the deep things of God. Line upon line, precept upon precept. But that is not knowing God. That's not the essence of knowing God. Oh, dear friend, Christianity in true, genuine spirituality is knowing God intimately. when you know him as a person you know him and he knows you and you've got that intimacy with him 
And he talks about that knowledge not only being personal, it's perpetual. Because that idea of knowing, it's a present active verb. It literally means to keep on knowing and keep on knowing. It's an ongoing relationship. This verb here, this wording expresses duration. It's ongoing, it's thriving. I want you to know tonight that this concept of eternal life that Jesus introduces here, it's referring to quality, not just quantity. It's not just a future possession, but it's a present reality right now. It's the blending of the eternal existence with infinite blessedness. It's the duration and the delight. It's the quantity and the quality. Notice that the true focus and spiritual focus of eternal life is not on a time. It's not on a period of time. It's not even on a place. It's on a person. That person is none other than the Lord Jesus. It's interesting what he said because notice this with me. We see a word about the deity of Christ. Go back up and look at verse 3. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and that that conjunction, and. It's the Greek word, chi. I'm not trying to just try. I'm, I'm just trying to throw this out there to you. That literally expresses a concept. It's like saying, even Jesus Christ, eternal life is knowing thee, the only true God, And, or even Jesus Christ, is expressing equality with God the Father. There we see that Jesus Christ is, as has been taught all through the Gospel of John, co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal with God the Father. Just the same concept that's expressed in John 14, 8 through 9, where Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it will suffice us. And Jesus looked back at Philip and said, Have I been so long with you, Philip, and yet you have not really known me? And then he makes this declaration, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. No wonder he could pray in verse 3. Eternal life, Father, is if they know you, because if they know you, they're going to be knowing me too. See, the essence of Christianity isn't heaven. You're like, whoa, 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 slow down, CP. No, the essence of Christianity isn't heaven. Heaven's a perk. Heaven's a blessing. We get heaven when we get Jesus. But you take away Jesus, heaven ain't heaven. You know what makes heaven heaven? Jesus. You take Jesus out of heaven for all eternity and you don't have heaven. You can take away the golden streets and still have heaven. You can take away the walls of jasper. You can take away the gates of pearl. You can take away the angels out of heaven and still have heaven. I'm going to say this to you. But if you take away Jesus out of heaven, you don't have heaven. You've got a pretty place, but you don't have Jesus. 
Because Jesus is what makes salvation, salvation. Jesus is what makes spirituality, spirituality. Because, friends, first and foremost, it is not about a place where you and I are going to stay forever, even though we're going to stay there forever. It's about a person that we're going to worship and know and love and adore for all eternity. Can I get an amen right there? And that's why he says, to know me is to have eternal life. Not just knowing that you're saved, but intimately knowing me. 19th century Scottish commentator David Brown said about this. He said, this is not mere conscious or unending existence, but it's a life of acquaintance with God in Christ. You see, the focus of the cross, and as we talked about this morning, the focus of the gospel is a vibrant, intimate, all-satisfying relationship with God himself in Christ. That's why eternal life is knowing the only true God. There's a word here about the delight of Jesus. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to tell you, this is countercultural to our modern-day spirituality that values the perks over the relationship. You talk to the average saved person. Hear me now. You talk to the average saved person about their intimacy with Christ. They ain't too interested in talking to you about that. They don't mind talking about heaven. Don't mind talking about eternal life. Don't mind talking about duration. They're not too keen on talking about their own intimacy with the Lord. We've got the cart before the horse. And the tail's wagging the dog. Because the essence of your spirituality and mine is a relationship with Jesus himself. See, we have a Christianity today that wants all the perks and privileges and blessings of eternal life. We're not that excited or pumped or enthused or passionate about the essence of what eternal life is. And that's a vibrant, growing, intimate knowledge of Jesus. So genuine spirituality can be summed up in the vitality of our intimacy with Christ. Any spirituality that separates itself from a vibrant, fresh, growing, intimate relationship with Jesus is no biblical spirituality at all. Did you hear me? Analyze that statement and let it sink in. This kind of pseudo-spirituality is foreign to the Bible and is a cheap substitute for the real thing. You say, what are you saying, CP? Here's what I'm saying. Here's the emphasis I want us to take away from verse 3. Are you walking with Jesus? Do you have a fresh, intimate, private, consistent, daily walk with the Lord? 